Welcome to the Da Vinci Hour, a podcast series that interviews individuals across the field of medicine to help provide an inside look into their experiences and provide insight on how to navigate the journey of becoming a physician. My name is Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and I will be your host. This podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, a medical education company that provides online video courses, outline format books, and clinical case videos for students studying the medical basic sciences. You can check out all that DaVinci Academy has to offer at www.dviacademy.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the DaVinci Hour. Really excited about this one. We've got my colleague, my co-resident, in fact, uh, Dr. John Moon, uh, one of the integrated interventional radiology residents here at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, And he's a good friend of mine, good collaborator of mine. He's, uh, in addition to being an IR resident, he's a medical innovator. Uh, John, we're happy to have you here on the program. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Awesome. So just a little bit of background on uh, who Dr. Moon is. Like I said, he's a resident physician here in the inter- Integrated Interventional Radiology Program at Emory, and we'll get more into that in a little bit here. He did his intern year with me here as well uh, in the transitional year program through Department of Medicine. Um he got his BA at Vassar College in Biological Sciences and MD at Albany Medical College in Albany, New York, before coming down here south. And then he's also the founder and CEO of Bioflow Medical Devices, which is a medical device company developing novel percutaneous uh, catheters. Uh, so we'll definitely get into that and get his, his thoughts on medical innovation as well. So it should be a great episode here for you. Um, so I think, John, I think we'll start with kind of a key question. We were talking about it before we started uh, recording the episode is, yeah. I think, you know, everyone hears about IR and, and you know, it, it sounds really cool, but I guess I feel like, and we talk about this all the time that not a lot of people know, they know maybe bits and pieces of what IR does, but they don't really know fully what it is. So I would say the first question to you is, is what is interventional radiology? And I guess what type of patients do we see? What type of pathology do we treat uh, and so forth? What type of procedures yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a, a very fair question and one that's being uh, addressed more and more in the medical education curriculum. Um, but, you know, to try to be as, as, as succinct as possible, IR encompasses a lot of different pathology. It touches almost upon every organ system. And you, if you think of a patient population, IR probably has some sort of role in treating them. And really the acuity can, can vary from extremely stable patients to patients who are rapidly decompensating. Um, as an example, um, we can talk about venous interventions and you know, from the stable perspective, we might see patients that are, are coming in pretty routinely uh, for our clinical providers or colleagues on the wards. And we, we may place uh, difficult central venous catheters for them for the administration of antibiotics inotropic support, perhaps for patients in the ICU or for dialysis maintenance for our nephrologists uh, in the treatment of renal disease. Um, And the more intensive cases, we're treating uh, venous thrombotic or thromboembolic diseases by way of thrombectomy. Um, And then we can also talk about peripheral artery disease with stents, arteriovenous malformations with embolic. Um, And then we're also routinely involved in acute GI interventions or gastrointestinal interventions Um, in the stable patient, we may assist the primary team by way of percutaneous enteric tubes or G-tubes placed um, through fluoroscopy um, and minimally invasive uh, image guidance. Uh, And then in some trauma cases, as we might see in uh, the larger trauma centers, 
we provide our expertise by way of embolizing um, arteries that we identify that are acutely bleeding uh, and we stabilize patients that way. Uh, and then like one of the more commonly or commonly taught, I should say in the medical curriculum is TIPS or transhepatic, uh, intrahepatic portosystemic shunt, um, which is a procedure we use to stabilize uh, end-stage liver disease patients who have refract core refractory to endoscopic, for example, uh, variceal ligation. Um, so I've listed a few systems just there, but we also perform biliary interventions involving biliary stenting for malignant obstruction, percutaneous cystoscopy for stone removal more recently, and then different therapies that are developed only, uh, you know, they, they continue to innovate on the latest technologies available, and we really make it our own um, you know, procedure or device in treating patients through image guidance. I'd be remiss not to mention IR's role in interventional oncology, uh, otherwise known now as the fourth pillar of oncology. Uh, IR is extremely active in providing local regional therapies, be it percutaneous thermal ablation, chemical ablation, or intra-arterial delivery of chemoembolic agents known as TACE, or radioembolic uh, agents known as TAR or TAR. And, you know, I could go on and on, and there's more to be said about IR's role in like GU or pelvic interventions where there's uterine fibroid embolization to treat pelvic fibroid pain or prostate artery embolization for the treatment of sequelae of benign prostatic hyperplasia. Um, but really the overarching theme is that IR or interventional radiology is involved in the treatment of disease or different pathology through image-guided minimally invasive interventions. Um, and I know we were recently talking, um, and, and this kind of goes into another field of like pain interventions, where we were talking about your involvement in like recent like uh, nerve ablations for the treatment of, of knee pain. So, I mean, there's just a whole spectrum of, of, of pathology that we treat. And, and this happens both in the inpatient setting and the outpatient setting. And we see our patients in the clinic after these procedures uh, routinely. No, I think that's a, <clears throat> excuse me, an excellent answer. I think it, you gave a good synopsis of how really how you said how IR is involved in literally head to toe, every organ system. The, I mean, the only one you didn't describe was like neuro interventional, uh, procedures as well. I mean, you know, thrombectomy means to treat stroke and, um, you know, coiling aneurysms and things like that, which both interventional radiologists. And then obviously our, our neurosurgery and neurology colleagues do those as well. Um, some of them, I think really IR touches everything except for coronary stenting. I mean, coronary, like angiography is really, uh, kind of the main, those are really not uh, outside of that. I think we don't, we do pretty much ever hit every other organ system. And ironically enough, the Palmez stent, as we often talk about was invented by an interventional radiologist. Um, so the original coronary stent, uh, was actually invented by an IR doctor. So, um, I think that's, uh, interesting. And then, you know, IRs will, some IRs still do, it's not as common anymore, but they'll do, you know, endovascular repair of aortic aneurysms, just like vascular surgeons do. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, you gave an excellent point about how it's just a, a very, and it's probably, if not the most evolving, uh, field in medicine, which is pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I've, as I've told you, I'll never forget my first day rotating as a resident on it, that we did a kyphoplasty for spinal fractures in one room. Then the next room we put in a quick line. Then the next room we did a nerve ablation 
And then the next nerve, we were next room, we were doing a uh, uterine fibroid embolization. So we were hitting like, you know, the musculoskeletal system, the nervous system, uh, you know, and then the female reproductive system all in one day, um, which is pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, I think it's that variety um, of practice that's really attractive, um, you know, really treating all sorts of pathology with the principle of, you know, minimally invasive uh, image guided procedures and really it, it you know, and from my perspective, and we'll get into this later, I think it's, it's really the future of, of surgery. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think a, another important thing to point out is how, um, a lot of these procedures are done outpatient, um, or, or a lot of them are done under like moderate sedation and without the need of like, you know, endotracheal intubation or anesthesia or anything like that. Right. Um, which is, which is also, I think further innovating. So we've talked about what IR is obviously we'll get even more into it as we talk here further, but I think, you know, I've, as I've mentioned, you're an integrated IR resident. So I guess what is, what does an integrated interventional radiology residency consist of? And I guess the going off that, how does it differ from a diagnostic radiology residency? So I think, cause I think people may be wondering kind of what, what the difference is as well. Yeah. So to break it down by um, anatomy, I suppose uh, the, you know, the, it consists of six years of training. Um, the first year is going to be that internship year. Uh, the next three following that are going to be your core diagnostic rotations in diagnostic radiology. And then the last two years are really dedicated to your IR uh, rotations or IR related rotations. And the idea behind the integrated uh, IRS, IR residency is to really um, provide a direct pathway for uh, medical students who know that they want to do interventional radiology uh, and to really dedicate them, the, you know, those six years towards honing their craft to that end. Nice. nice. Um, and I, so I guess like kind of getting into it, what, what are the different training pathways? Cause you hear these terms, you know, integrated IR, ESIR, you know, independent pathway, I guess, could you maybe touch a little bit on the, the differences between those three, kind of those three main pathways to becoming an interventional radiologist? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's the integrated residency, as I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a one plus three plus two um, sort of situation. Uh, and then there's the uh, ESIR or the early specialization in IR um, pathway, which allows for diagnostic residents, uh, perhaps who were not sure that they wanted to uh, commit to uh, integrated pathway. Um, these diagnostic residents that then decide that maybe after rotating through a variety of rotations that IR is indeed um, what they want to pursue. They, are, they have the option of uh, completing different milestones within IR. Um, and, and in many cases, uh, I think the SIR states that it's, it's 500 IR uh, related procedures or, and then the completion of 12 IR or IR related rotations. Um, and what this allows for them to do during their um, diagnostic residency is then to, uh, instead of going into a two-year independent residency, they can then enter the second year of that independent residency, effectively shortening it by a year. Um, and then functionally, it ends up being, uh, from a time perspective, as, as long as it would be from an integrated residency. Uh, and so I touched upon the independent residency and that sort of independent uh, residency, and that's sort of the, the last um, pathway, which is uh, you complete a standard uh, you know, five-year residency um, with that intern year included, uh, and then you go on to do a two-year 
uh, quote unquote fellowship or what they now refer to as uh, independent residency. Um, and the utility of ESIR is that you'd be able to shorten the time uh, you'd be doing that independent residency. Nice, nice. No, I think that's a, a great synopsis. And I think that, you know, there's pros and cons, everyone. I think, like you said, you know, the, the integrated IR is for the people who I think, like yourself, were very sure you wanted to do it. Um, and I think, to me, I feel like, tell me if you disagree, I feel like the major advantage of that is you don't have to do a fellowship match or the, re, you know, independent resident match. Like you, you know, you know, you're staying at Emory for your, all, all of your training. You don't have to worry about, you know, doing ERAS and all that stuff again, doing interviews and you kind of, and you won't have to learn a new system, a new program. I guess I feel like that's maybe the, the biggest advantage. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some, uh, some sort of, some sense of security, I think, in knowing that I'll be at one institution for all of my training. Um, and I think there, there could be pros or cons to that, um, real or theoretical. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest benefits is that I had family in the South. I knew I wanted to be uh, in Atlanta, in Emory, uh, and that that would provide close access um, logistically to, you know, support systems. Um, in addition to the type of environment I was looking for, I knew that being at Emory would provide access to certain uh, academic uh, networks, which include the Georgia Tech network or the, the different academic systems in the greater Atlanta area. Um, and given my interest in innovation, which we touched upon, um, it's just, it just makes a lot of sense for me to really hone in on the different things I want to accomplish here during this uh, dedicated, integrated um, six-year program. And so I think for myself, there, there were a lot of benefits to that. And um, I knew I wanted to do this up front. Uh, and so it just made sense to apply to an integrated program where all of, the, all of my interests uh, align. But I think, uh, you know, and I, we, people talk about this, uh, you know, uh, throughout the process and even now amongst like the different um, co-residents that the ESIR um, track may also offer um, sort of an advantage from experiencing different uh, practice types or institutional differences or really widening your arsenal of um, skill sets or a way of doing things by interacting with different attendings. Uh, and, you know, contrary to what people might think, you know, IR or like these different procedures that, or, or surgical therapies that people perform, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, operator uh, differences, a lot of uh, variety in the way people accomplish things and principles that they focus on um, or that are highlighted. And I think you can appreciate more, perhaps a, a greater variety if you go somewhere else, but um all the same, I mean, you can make the argument that you you really hone in on the variety of skill sets you know by staying at one institution all the same and really making them your own. Um, so it really depends on what you're looking for, I think. And, and one's not necessarily better than the other. Um, it really is just how you fit into that pathway. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the option to go somewhere else in your last years. Some may think of that as an, as a, um, advantage of the ESIR track. Um, I think the biggest advantage, like you said, is it's for, you know, if, if you're like myself, I wasn't sure hundred percent I wanted to commit to an IR program. So, you know, I'm a diagnostic resident technically, um, but will likely be, you know, applying for the ESIR track uh, at the end of, 
not this year, but next year, I believe. Um, so, it, you know, it gave me a chance to do a couple rotations. You know, ironically, I'm on IR right now. Um, that's why we're recording this so late. <laughs> um, and so it was a late day today out there. But, um, yeah, you know, it's given me a chance to really experience it as a, re- as a, as a resident. My, you know, I did a rotation during our intern year, as, as you did, and then doing it again here as a, as a resident, radiology resident. You know, it's just further confirmed that, you know, it's, uh, you know, something I'm very passionate about. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I have the option, I can stay at Emory or I can, you know, go somewhere else and, you know, what, how that goes, we'll see, you know, we'll see where the chips fall in a few years. I I don't have any preference one way or the other right now. Um, but I guess it's nice to know I have that option. I don't have maybe the level of security you do, but, um, but definitely, I think you make a good point too, you know, just like how in different surgical practices or surgical programs, you know, for example, in like, you know, general surgery, there's some programs that are, you know, very high volume transplant, like here at Emory, you know, it's a very high volume transplant center. So the general surgery residents here get a lot of exposure to that, but, you know, uh, you know, they may not get as much exposure to something else. Um, so, you know, and it's the same thing in IR, like here we do, because of being a transplant center, we do a lot of, you know, tips and, and, uh, hepatic work. Um, but you know, you could go somewhere else where, you know, certain places do a lot more oncology or more, you know, peripheral vascular disease, uh, things like that. So like you said, that's kind of maybe the advantage. I think the, the two-year pathways, maybe the one that's like the least desirable, the one where you have to, cause it's just seven years, it's a year longer. It's, I guess it's not, it's not the end of the world if you have to do that, but I guess if there's one path out of the way, that's the least desirable, I guess maybe that's the, the least desirable of the three pathways. Yeah, I think it just kind of depends on like when you come to deciding to do IR Mm -hmm. and where you are and having prepared for that. And that may just look different depending on, you know, your personal paths of interest or the the residency program that you're part of maybe doesn't offer ESIR. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it may be a necessity, but certainly I think there's an appeal in uh, the former pathways in that it, it, it allows for you know, shortening an already long or lengthy career path, um, which is most of medicine, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any more that anything you want to do that specializes super long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, so, you know, touching on that, we'll touch on, I think a lot of medical students, you know, the med student that was on today, uh, we were actually talking about it was the, the different intern year options. You know, I think from what I understand and correct me wrong, really there's three main options is, you know, the preliminary medicine year where you're basically, you know, you function as an, a full-time internal medicine resident for an entire year um, with the understanding that you'll, you know, go ahead. Cause I think people need to understand that in radiology, both integrated IR and diagnostic, you match like a year ahead, essentially, you know, it's like dermatology or anesthesia or some of those other specialties. And then you do that intern year before. Um, and then the other options you could do an integrated or a, excuse me, a preliminary surgery year where, you know, you would function as a general surgery resident for a year. And that's, uh, as we'll talk about becoming a little more popular with some people in IR because of the, you know, a lot of the overlap of kind of surgical skills and managing pre and post-operative patients. Uh, and then the transitional year, like we did, which is typically as ours was run through the department of medicine. Sometimes I think it's run through like the department of family medicine, which is generally, you still do a lot of internal medicine rotations, but you do, um, you also have like t- usually more elective time than, 
like a prelim year uh, in medicine or surgery. Uh, and I, I don't think there's really any other options. Are there other uh, that you can think no, of? Not that I, can, I mean, I think those are the three that I was looking at. If there's yeah. more, it's not, not to my knowledge. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, to, I think, kind of answer perhaps or to kind of talk about what your medical student was um, referring to. I mean, there's these three different options. Um, and I, I would preface all of this by saying that it, re it really depends on what you're hoping to get out of your intern year. Mm -hmm. uh, and not, not all, not, not everyone is about like maximizing training, uh, you know, efficiency or, or output or, or learning. Um, and so um, sometimes it's a personal decision that factors in like logistics of moving, um, proximity to family, uh, consideration of significant others, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that said, I completed my transitional here um, at Emory with you, as you know, uh, which contrary to the reputation of many transitional programs was rather quite rigorous. Um, I would say that like retrospectively, uh, I think the goal of any internship year for radiology residents or uh, in general should be, uh, you know, in addition to IR residents is to develop a solid clinical foundation um, and if that's accomplished through a medicine preliminary year, a surgery preliminary year, or transitional year, as was in my case or our case, uh, I think the overarching objective is met. Um, now, I, you know, you, you brought up a great point, like a lot of program directors or, um, you know, programs are now moving towards a categorical system where they match into both their internship and their advanced program uh, together. Um, and for uh, medical students that don't know, um, in specialties with uh, advanced programs such as radiology, you apply into these internship programs and then you also separately apply many times into the radiology program of choice. And some programs have what's called a categorical program which combines both of those things together. And so you functionally, you just apply to one program which encompasses both of those things. Um, so for, for you and I, we applied to both the transitional, which was the internship portion, and we also applied to the advanced program, which was our radiology portion. Um, and then, like we were saying, uh, these, you know, a lot of these programs are transitioning to a categorical system where they incorporate uh, a surgical year. And there's certainly a preference, I think, for program directors, uh, given that there is um, high crossover or, uh, you know, overlap between the sorts of things that IRs do uh, as proceduralists or minimally invasive surgeons or, or we'll call you, you know, and, and what, what the surgical services of a hospital do. Um, I think there's a lot of arguments for and against, um, probably more for, uh, but I think, and I think, you know, most people will say this is that it's really program specific um, you could go to a large surgical program and perhaps not get the operative experiences you were looking for, or as much of the clinical experiences you thought you would get. Um, or, you know, you could go to a really fantastic community surgical program and get all of the things that you're hoping for, but perhaps not the major cases uh, that you might see at your advanced program. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it really depends on um, the rigor of training that your internship provides, whether that be a medicine prelim, uh, surgery prelim, or, or TY. And at least personally speaking, I know that 
we co-managed a lot of these surgical patients um, at the different hospitals we rotated at during our year. And, um, you know, I can confidently say that I left intern year with a solid clinical foundation, which I believe will serve me very well um, throughout my radiology um, years, which include the IR years as well. Um, so I, I think long, you know, to, to make this long answer, I, I guess a, a bit shorter, it, it really depends on what you're looking for. I think you have to identify what's important to you um, personally, and then what you hope to get out from a training perspective and to see if that aligns um, with the, the internship program that you're looking at. Um, because they're, they're, they're really, you know, you, you categorize them into these three things, but really there's different degrees of, you know, uh, work or clinical exposure that you get at, across the three of them. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent synopsis. And, you know, I think, I think what you said, I, I echo a lot as well. It's, it's really what you kind of want to get out of your intern year. You know, that's kind of what I usually say to med students when they ask me about it. Um, I think no matter what, like kind of what you touched on with all three of them, in my opinion, you're going to, you're going to work really hard. Um, obviously there's some programs that are harder than others. And then there's some, you know, there's some transitional year programs that are quote unquote, a little bit more chill than, than others like chiller, certainly than the one we did. Um, but you know, some people may think, oh, the clinical training maybe wasn't as rigorous, you know, that's up for debate, you know, whether, you know, what the quality was, I can't speak to that or, um, but I think, you know, um, either way, you're going to do a lot of like, you know, grunt work for lack of a better way of describing it. You're write a lot of notes, whether you do a surgery year, a transitional year, prelim medicine year, um, you know, things like that. Um, a lot of the like functional things to kind of get patient care done. You're going to do that no matter what. I think the surgery year, maybe the benefit you're kind of touching on it is, is, you know, you, you're definitely, you know, I don't think you suture much at all uh, as, as a medicine intern or as a transitional year, unless you do surgical electives during your, your transitional year. I think the other thing that surgery interns are probably are considerably probably better at managing are like, you know, simple things like dressings, stuff like that. I don't think medicine, you know, medicine residents, we didn't, you know, you don't deal with that as much like the different dressings, how to dress different, you know, wounds and things like that, how to deal with drains, like those types of things. So I think maybe those could be, uh, you know, possible advantages to a surgery year, but then, you know, you're going to do a lot of things that, you know, and that's the other thing I think across all three of them, you're gonna do a lot of things you're probably never going to do again. Um, you know, and how useful those are is, you know, kind of up to up for opinion out there. Um, but I think the advantages of the medicine, like doing internal medicine for sure is, you know, you need to know how to, as an IR, you need to know how to manage blood pressure to a certain extent. You know, if someone's blood pressure is really high during a case or someone's blood pressure, you know, if the nurse calls you afterwards and the blood pressure is high in the, you know, in the uh, post-operative or in the post-procedural area, um, you know, things like that, you won't necessarily be right, running insulin sliding scale, but, um, right. you, you should at least know, like, you know, you know, how, you know, how to work up. I think the basic knowledge you want to know is how to work up patients, you know, how to clinically evaluate them and clinically think. And if you get, whether, regardless of which path you take, if you get that, you know, like you said, how you got with our intern year, and I feel the same way I would echo, you know, our TY year was certainly more challenging than, or more rigorous than some other programs, but I felt very well, feel very comfortable clinically after that year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, to kind of add, I, I, you know, it's hard to have this perspective of what kind of uh, interventional radiologist you're going to be, but I think there certainly is a push from the Society of Interventional Radiology to um, really 
um, highlight the more clinical aspects of interventional radiology and um, to really push for a stronger clinical presence um, and you know, really taking care of the patient from, from the moment we get consulted um, all the way to following up with them post-procedurally and regular follow-up visits. And I think we are recognized officially as a primary specialty. And so how far you wanna take your medical management of a patient, um, whether it be hypertension or diabetes or these other um, common medicine um, pathologies is really a function of how proficient or how comfortable you are in treating those entities. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it's really, you know, there is that sort of, you know, um, 2000 foot view of, of looking at uh, where you wanna be or what kind of IR you wanna be down the road. Um, but I, I would also add that, you know, I felt that having a general year of, of medicine um, and knowing how to do general doctor things uh, would be of greater benefit um, to myself personally. And I, I was more intrigued by it. Uh, and so I was, uh, you know, these surgical things uh, I will have to learn <laughs> eventually, but this year of medicine is, is something I'll never be able to experience again. And so I, I, in, in that respect, I found it highly valuable. Yeah, no, and I would agree with that. I mean, I would say, you know, I think I speak for both of us. We're both very comfortable, you know, we could, even though it's, you know, it's very early in our, you know, we're not that far removed from our intern year. I think we could, you know, walk into the hospital right now and still feel comfortable, you know, working up heart failure, just bed and bread and butter type medicine things, you know, heart failure, pneumonia, pulmonary embolism, those type of things. Um, and I think, you know, I think we'll still, you know, feel comfortable with medicine things and like, you know, essentially be able to speak their, their language. Cause one thing you do, you know, I was doing it today is you're on the phone with, you know, ordering providers all the time, both, both in diagnostic and interventional radiology. And I think being able to speak the language with both of them is, is uh, certainly very important. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we feel comfortable in a lot of these bread and butter pathologies. And, and I think one of the limitations of our knowledge is, or one of the things that I learned during intern year is like to know what you like, when to talk to someone else, mm -hmm. like know your own threshold for calling someone, like whether it's the cardiology service or the GI service, and knowing to recognize those critical moments in, in care that you, you identify a problem that you can't solve or require the expertise of another consultant and call them. Mm -hmm. And I think being on the primary, uh, you know, primary service side of things really gives you a lot of perspective into um, who you're, you know, referring providers or what they're thinking about and what they're looking for and how you can really contribute towards patient care um, as part of their treatment plan. Um, so I, I think, you know, whatever you choose, uh, you know, just you, it's, it's more than just like the, the name of that year, whether it's the medicine or the surgical or the TY year, it's really about what you're doing in the sort of program or um, rotations they have laid out for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing, last thing I'll point out here is I see one advantage of doing like a transitional year is you can do surgery, you know, obviously you'll do a lot of medicine, but you can do surgery electives on a, in a transitional year. Like I did, as you know, I did a month of vascular surgery here at Emory. Um, and so I got to, you know, rotate on the vascular service and, and, you know, see how they do things and scrub in on some endovascular cases, which definitely has, you know, a lot of overlap with interventional radiology and, 
you know, kind of see the surgeon's perspective of things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I definitely picked up some, some valuable skills from that as well. So I think it was, for me, it was good to see like both sides, obviously much more slanted towards medicine. Um, but I think getting, you know, there's, there's also like an advantage to that too. I think if you can go to a program that'll allow you to, you know, do some electives and some other things, um, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Completely agree. Um, so I think, um, it's funny me asking you this, um, uh, cause I'm on IR right now, but I'll ask you, since <laughs> you know, you obviously know as, as well as I do what, so what is, so people are probably wondering, like, you know, we've kind of laid it out the landscape. What, what so what does like a typical day on the IR rotation look like for, for a resident, you know? Yeah, like, I, I think we, we can tag team this one. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as you know, um, you know, you work up patients in the morning or the night before you chart on them in the morning, you see the patients, um, if they're in, inpatient, mm-hmm. uh, you can send them if they haven't been already, uh, then you prepare the list. Um, you prepare all your images, you, you present them to the team, you round with the team and then, you know, things start moving. Yeah. You know, the day begins and you're scrubbing into procedures, um, you're logging cases, you're dictating reports, you're following up with family, you're following up with providers. Um, and then you're working up consults throughout the day and just doing, uh, you know, a modified version of everything I just said um, on repeat. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, how your day runs. And you run through like six or seven or eight or nine or 10 different cases of all sorts of variety. And before you know it, the day's over. And you've had a wonderful day of fun. That's right. <laughs> Even if you get out at seven thirty. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, no, I think you know you pretty much hit it. I think um, you know, like you said, there's a lot. It, there's a lot. It's a very there's a it, which is cool about it. It can be um, hectic, but as cool as there's a variety of things you're doing. You know, you're seeing patients in the hospital. You're doing outpatient. You know, procedures on patients in the hospital. Patients that are coming in from the outpatient. Um, as well. Um, you're seeing consults from in the hospital as well. Um, which is, you're essentially, I wouldn't say a primary service cause you're not like the primary team, but you're, you know, you have your kind of primary scheduled procedures for that day. And then obviously you can have a lot of consults and, and add-ons and things like that. And I'll add that a consult, you know, is not just looking at the imaging and kind of chart checking, like you go up to the floor, just like, you know, a surgical it's functions. I would say very much like a surgical service. Like you said, it's um, you know, you go up on the floor and you see the patient yourself and examine them and, and uh, you know, whichever, and what type of exam you do is kind of relevant to, you know, the procedure, you know, if some, if someone calls you for like a biliary drain, cause they have, you know, elevated liver enzymes, you know, you're going to go up and, you know, obviously examine their abdomen, see if they're jaundiced, you know, labs, you'll review their you know, liver enzymes or bilirubin, things like that. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of clinical evaluation. It's not quite to the extent as a medicine doctor, um, but because you're kind of more focused on the, you know, problem at hand or the problem you're being asked it, you're being asked about, but um, mm-hmm. a lot of clinical evaluation for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah. And I feel like the rest of it kind of runs, like you say, you're, you know, you run through the patients and then, you know, you kind of usually that's it. I think it depends like what level you're at. Like at our level, we're doing a lot more of the consenting and <laughs> the lower yeah. junior, junior resident level, you know, consenting patients, seeing consults, you know, coordinating with teams, the prime ordering teams and stuff like that. 
and then the fellow, I think you're at that stage, you're still doing some of those things, but I feel like at that stage, it's more kind of honing your, your skills, you know, as a, as an operator. Exactly. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so I guess we've talked about what the rotation looks like. So I guess people, you know, a lot of med students wonder about the schedule, like what type of hours do we work, especially on IR? Um, I think we should probably, (laughs) we should probably address diagnostic too, as well, because I think it's important to point out, um, and you know, you could elaborate on this is that, you know, we, a lot of our training, we're still trained as diagnostic, you know, even yourself as an integrated IR resident, you're still trained as a diagnostic radiology radiologist as well. Um, and I guess like, what kind of, what is our call schedule? Cause like, um, you know, IR is certainly on call all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I, once again, I think it's, it's very program specific. Uh, I think the diagnostic years and it's, it's relative to what you're, you're comparing it to. If you're comparing the diagnostic years to, to like, you know, a general surgery, uh, residency, I mean, I think objectively we could probably say that the, the diagnostic radiology residency requires less, uh, less hours in the hospital. Um, that said, you know, you know, as, as we're both going through our first year of radiology residency, we can say that certainly there's um, more free time than we may have had during our intern year. But I think the expectation is also that we use that time to really study uh, our craft mm-hmm. and to really learn this new language um, that we have to communicate uh, through our, you know, evaluation of images. And so I think the first year is structured wherever you go for radiology to accommodate that learning curve. That's very difficult. Um, and I think the second year, um, you know, you're, you're picking up more call and then your third year you're picking up more call and then come fourth year or your R4 year, you're, you're doing these mini fellowships, a variety of electives um, and really jumping into whatever uh, specialty that you've, you've chosen to, pursue as many now do pursue uh, subspecialty training. Um, that said, I think for the subspecialty of, of IR um, that, uh, you know, that we'll be, we'll be pursuing, uh, I think it's variable on the institution size uh, and the number of trainees available and the sort of maybe even the practice model um, that the uh, trainee is at. And so, you know, I've, I've heard anywhere between um, the worst I've heard is, is, you know, Q2 call. Um, I think Q3 or Q4 is more standard. And, and I've heard, also heard Q5. Um, but it's, it's a function of how many hospitals you're covering, how many trainees are available, um, and what sort of, you know, services you'll be providing. Um, but that said, it, it's, it's, certainly not, um, it's certainly not a walk in the park. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the hours that you're working as a trainee um, in IR or at least during your IR specific rotations are probably, you know, easily, you know, 11, 12 hour days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you can speak to this right now. <laughs> you probably woke up at five and you, you came back at seven. It's, it's, it's not, you know. It's, it's not, it's not, you know, a walk in the park by any means. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I will say that during my intern year, when I was on 
interventional radiology as compared to maybe uh, a general medicine uh, month, the time I spent was like, it just, it was, it was almost inconsequential in that like, I just, the day kind of flew by because I was enjoying it so much. Um, and I think that's sort of a, a really good sign of you doing something you really love um, and it just being a natural part of your day. Um, to kind of talk about that a little bit further, you, you know, the, the training doesn't necessarily reflect your future, your future life. Like um, there are a lot of different practices. Uh, most of most trainees will be in academic practices, which makes sense. And uh, they can be more demanding, uh, definitely. And I think when you go out into practice, or at least from what I've heard, there's, there's a, a whole lot of variety in the practice type you can choose from or be hired to. Um, and that you can, you know, if you want to, you can work that seven to four, seven to eight to five job if you'd like, or you can be extremely, um, you know, prolific and work even more than you would at a major academic center or, you know, and so it, it really, I think, you know, the training will be hard. Um, hopefully it'll prepare you. Um, it should prepare you. And then whatever you want to do afterwards is really um, your lifestyle. It can be highly variable. It's, it's, it's really up to what you're looking for and what you want. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, versus a field like, say, like neurosurgery, you know, I, um, you know, I've had a neurosurgeon on the podcast. And we talk about this that you know you're pretty much it's pretty hard to have a limited hour, just uh, you know, much more limited hours attending job as a neurosurgeon. It's just just the nature of the job, or like interventional cardiology, where you're on call all the time, and you know you're getting called in to do you know STEMIs and and things like that. It's just much more difficult versus IR. I think you know, it, you have much more control over, like you said, your hours, your schedule, how much you're on call, things like that. You know, you, cause you could decide, you know, you, know, you could, you know, there's some IRs that just don't do certain procedures that would be more, you know, uh, like for example, some IRs don't do, or, or a number of them don't do any peripheral artery disease work, you know, or something like that, that may require, mm -hmm. you know, more follow-up more, you know, you know, more clinical workup, things like that. Um, you know, requiring patients to be rounded on in the hospital and things like that. You know, some IRs, they do exclusively outpatient, you know, or, mo or maybe, you know, vast majority of their practices outpatient works so that are almost never going to the hospital, um, mm -hmm. you know, versus, you know, some of the attendees we work with, you know, do very high level, you know, complex cases, um, you know, um, so it's, I think, that's another nice thing, I guess, is the variety of, of cases you can do as an attending. And, and then off of that, the variety of lifestyles you can have. I think what we're conventionally told is that there's a trade-off. Um, when, you, when you're in an academic center, you can do more complex cases. And then when you go to like a community practice, um, you end up doing more bread and butter cases. I, I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore. Um, and I think uh, we both listened to uh, different um, IR lectures that kind of focus on this very fact that there's a lot of private practices these days that do high, high end, high level IR um, without necessarily the academic setting. And so mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of mixing and matching of, of practice types, um, cases like very diverse to, you know, very common. And so it's, 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where it goes by the time we're looking at that same job market. Um, but, you know, I think at the very least right now, I think, you know, you can, I would hope you could find what you want. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I think kind of going back to your medical school days, I guess, what made you pursue IR? Like what, when you were going through med school, was it something you came to during your third year? Or was it something you thought you were going to probably do before that? And kind of how did you, what solidified your decision to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it's interesting. Um, so I decided very early on, I decided the winter of my first year of medical school that I would, I'd be doing IR and that was it. And I wow. never looked back. Um, but I think there, to, to give that some more context, um, after graduating from college, uh, or I should say during college, I, I had a lecture on tips. It was mm -hmm. kind of stored in my head somewhere. I, I never thought about it until med school. Uh, and then I went to do some uh, research, bench research during my uh, gap years in the city, in New York City. And that's when I really came to enjoy, um, you know, doing research um, and really thinking about cancer and like what we can do for these types of patients. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of my research was focused around targeted therapy. And like, you know, I was like, man, like, you know, these systemic chemotherapies just really wreck people. Mm -hmm. uh, really wreck our patients and, and there's still such terrible side effects like there's got to be a better way to do this um and you know there's got to be more a localized way of doing this and and i'm i'm keying words here that basically hone in on what ir does which is local regional therapy um but you know come med school I, you know i'm i'm, I'm I, I did this in a very systematic way i literally opened up the aamc specialty lists and i just went down every single like primary and subspecialty and said, this looks interesting. This doesn't look interesting. This is something I need to rule out or uh, really think about again. And, you know, after doing that, I, I did some shadowing of these different specialties that I need to rule, rule in or rule out. And, you know, by the end of the first semester, uh, I was like, you know, this, I think all roads lead to IR. And that's when I set up my first mentor meeting. Um, I think more commonly now, uh, like the story I hear the most often is that there's a third year medical student who's following a patient down to get serviced in IR, uh, whether it's for a catheter placement or for some trauma workup or tra trauma, you know, traumatic embolization. And then they discover this, like, who are these magicians that do work and send <laughs> patients back to the primary floor? Um, and that's a story I've heard a lot. And Certainly, I think that model of like um, coming to know about IR or like IR awareness is changing, um, especially as, you know, compared to when I was first exposed, I think the number of interventional radiology interest group chapters across the country, as shown by the Society of Interventional Radiology website, has just exploded. And I, you know, I'd be surprised if in every state or almost I'd say like 90% of med schools, there wasn't some sort of chapter that focused on uh, promoting interventional radiology. That's awesome. And I think one thing I'll plug for, for John here is, you know, he's been very involved with the, the SIR, the Society of Interventional Radiology. And he was on a panel uh, not too long ago advising medical students. I think it was about away rotations, right? On, on, uh, yeah. On yeah. Uh, how, to, how to select your rotations, how to prepare for them, how to perform on them. And uh, 
you should certainly, we can put the link to that in the, in the show notes. You should certainly check that out if you're, if you're at that stage. Um, but I think you give it, you point out a good, that's uh, a great resource for people interested in, in IR and who want to learn more about it. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think the, the society has a lot of great resources. Um, you know, no need to recreate the wheel here. There, there's a lot of people that have given good advice. Um, and, and as Maxwell said recently, um, I was able to give some advice on a podcast uh, that featured myself as well as other recent, um, you know, now residents that, that went through the process. Nice. Nice. Um, so I think, um, based on that kind of maybe going off that a little bit, what, what's like, obviously you, you know, you had a whole panel discussion devoted to it, but I guess what's your general advice for, for students, you know, applying to interventional radiology residency, if they're at that stage and then going off that for, you know, selecting and doing well on, on away rotations. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I would say it really depends at which stage that you've decided to pursue um, interventional radiology. And um, I think the earlier you, you choose the more options you have to craft your application accordingly. Um, I, I don't think it's any um, secret that uh, interventional radiology um, is extremely competitive. Um, and so, you know, I'll leave the, the listeners to go to the NRMP uh, you know, data sheets and, and find out what, you know, scores they should be targeting or like how many publications they should be uh, looking to or what's, you know, on average for the uh, matriculated applicant. Um, but I think, you know, if, if you're finding out that, that IR is a way for you as a first or second year or even like an early third year, um, I think it allows you to time to, you know, develop really good relationships with mentors um, within your hospital. Uh, if there aren't mentors, it gives you time to find mentors outside of your hospital as well. Um, and I'd say that's probably the biggest first step that anyone can take towards, um, you know, going on this path. Uh, mentors are huge for any field. And I think that's like just a solid first step to take and getting guidance on um, one, like, you know, is this the field for you? Um, getting access to shadowing opportunities, um, exploring opportunities to set up a rotation or to do a home rotation. Um, and then I think, you know, if you're earlier on, you may be able to develop longitudinal research projects. If you're coming in a little later, maybe there are case reports that you can write up. Um, all things to show that you're interested in this field and, um, you know, just another way to sort of try to, uh, you know, make yourself stand out or highlight your, your interest uh, in IR uh, through different means. And I think everyone has different ways of doing this, different interests that align with them. For some, it's like public health. Um, for others, it's about innovation, uh, such as myself. Um, Others yet, the you know basic science research that really elucidate the mechanisms behind the interventional procedures, and to some extent, it's going to be a function of what's available at your respective university or college. Um, and so, you know, take that, do what you can. I don't think anyone's certainly going to penalize you for for not having as much as uh, someone in a different uh, academic setting. Um, that said, I think. Uh, once again, the earlier you start, uh, the more opportunities you can expose yourself to. Um, I was referring to the Society of Interventional Radiology earlier, uh, or SIR, and SIR has, you know, summer 
uh, internship programs, research opportunities, uh, medical student grants. Um, and I was personally involved in uh, my local uh, interventional radiology interest group. Um, you know, we hosted a, a regional symposium, and then I was also actively involved in um, hosting or developing different programming for the Biodesign and Innovation Committee as a member of, uh, of the SIR Medical Student Committee. So earlier on, more opportunities. Later on, you don't have as many opportunities, but I don't think it necessarily locks you out of anything. Um, it just means that the way you approach your application might be slightly different. Um, but yeah, I, th I think, you know, I can't emphasize enough the importance that mentors have and and that's also sort of a reflection of my own personal experience sure sure i guess one thing i'm thinking as you're talking here you know let's say you know obviously every medicine has to do the core you know like medicine surgery things like that and I th i'm sure you would agree with this i would advise that you should do well on you know especially those medicine and surgery because you know as we said you may end up doing an intern year in them and they're just directly relatable to um you know what you're going to do as a radiologist but let's say they have like some elective time. Should they do, I think some may be wondering, should I do a diagnostic rotation? Should I do an IR rotation? Should I try to do both? Um, I guess kind of what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously it's dependent, like you said, on your school and how much elective time you have, but. Yeah. I mean, I think given the opportunity doing um, both is always probably, um, at least in my perspective, like, you know, ideal. Um and a lot of my mentors told me this, like, like time and time again, they're like, John, if you, if you really want to do IR, make sure you really, you know, really enjoy and like diagnostic radiology too, because that is the foundation upon which IR is, is built. And so earlier on, I don't think, I, I don't think I took that to heart as, as much. And so I would, I would like, you know, keep shadowing like IR only, IR only. And then eventually I think, it hit on me that if I want to, you know, really understand the principles um, in the suite or in the, in the rooms a little better, uh, my learning would be enhanced by having a greater diagnostic understanding, which is like, you know, such a common concept that, that I should have understood much earlier on. Uh, and so, you know, I, th I think I, I spent more time in the reading rooms with the diagnostic, diagnostic attendings and, you know, limited as that may have been, uh, I think it really helped me understand the sort of work that radiologists do in general um, and helped really enhance my learning opportunities in IR. Um, I'd say if you, if you had to choose one, I, I would say do diagnostic radiology because like that's, you just have to, you just have to like that. Like <laughs> if you don't enjoy that, there's really no point. In, in doing IR, like at least from my perspective. Um, and it really wouldn't make sense uh, because such a large portion of your training is dedicated to diagnostic radiology alone that, I mean, you would, it would just be insufferable <laughs> if you didn't enjoy it. Um, so, I mean, that being said, like I enjoyed every, every aspect of both uh, DR and IR. So it just made a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point. You know, as we talk about the the first, whether you're diagnostic or integrated, the first three years of radiology residency are by far majority diagnostic rotations. I mean, like I'll do IR here and um, most likely won't do it for a long time, probably till my next, the next year of uh, training and like yourself, like you did it, 
you know, during intern year, which is not a common thing. A lot of times people aren't able to do IR during their intern year. I think that's kind of a benefit of our program. Um, and then you, you know, you always tell me, you know, it's, you're gonna have to wait so long. I think you do it. You said you do it at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and you know, the rest of that time is spent doing diagnostic rotation. Cause at the end of the day, you have to get board certified in diagnostic, um, to do it. It's, it's similar to the people who do, you know, like vascular surgery and they get boarded in general surgery before they go to, um, to vascular surgery, you know, and get boarded in that or, or plastic surgery or right. uh, what have you, or cardiothoracic. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a definitely a, a prerequisite, but it's a prerequisite for a reason. Um, you know, it certainly makes you a better interventional radiologist for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cannot be emphasized enough, uh, to our just so intimately entwined. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I don't even know if I've mentioned this, but I think the biggest diff, one of the biggest difference I've noticed, you know, wasn't, I, I only did it a few months ago at the end, towards the end of intern year, the IR rotation. And now I'm doing it again. It's after doing a couple, you know, rotations and chest imaging and abdominal imaging. I'd say the biggest difference I noticed for myself is, um, I just look at things a little bit differently now because of, you know, having that imaging training. And like, when I'm looking at the imaging, I think, like you mentioned, a huge part of working the patients up is reviewing the imaging. Um, a lot of, that's a lot of times when the, you know, providers call us or they consult us, they're not just relying on our clinical acumen or our ability to do the procedure or not. They're really also relying on the fact that we are inherently radiologists at heart and that we, you know, are very well trained, you know, obviously highly trained in reviewing imaging, um, to make, not only help make a diagnostic call, but, you know, whether, uh, you know, procedures indicated or not. So I think that's for myself, even I, you know, I have a better understanding of things from an imaging perspective, which I think has helped, uh, significantly. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'm looking forward to having that same, uh, you know, experience uh, that, that, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yours will be much more significant than mine because you'll be towards the end <laughs> you'll, yeah. you'll have uh paid your dues <laughs> to yeah. say the least yeah, um i guess we'll touch on it very briefly um you know ir away rotations i guess what are kind of the general themes you you advise people on i know you get asked about this a lot by both yeah. you know medical medical students here at emory medical you know John is a wealth of knowledge on many, many things as you're finding out. So, and he, he has all these, I don't even know how these people find John, but they find him and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they find him and they, they want to pick his brain. So I guess, uh, we have the privilege of doing that here on the program. Yeah. So <laughs> happy to oblige. Um, so, I mean, choose wisely, <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, seriously though, like, I, I think, uh, like obviously do, you know, do that home rotation first to get your solid grounding and, you know, basic, you know, skills of working up consults and doing basic back table uh, handling of, mm -hmm. of devices and wires. Um, and then I think when you're, when you're thinking about ways, like it, it can be at a place where you're targeting, uh, where you'd really like to go, um, or it can be at a institution, uh, an institution that you would like to receive a letter from, or it can be at an institution um, that you could see yourself at, um, 
you know, it's, I think it's changing right now. Um, a lot of people with the, with the whole pandemic and the resurgence, there's been limitations to at least the medical students I'm talking to, they can only do one IR rotation, like a weight rotation. And so I think the theme right now is that a lot of medical students are, are choosing that one place where they really would like to see themselves um, in training. Um, and I think that's a totally reasonable approach. Uh, and I think for others, it may be that um, they're, you know, interested in a, a particular region of the country that they would like to quote unquote open up uh, for their interviews. And so they do uh, in a way elective in California, for example, uh, to open up, uh, you know, the, the West Coast, so to speak, uh, and to show that their interests and that, you know, they are willing to make the effort, uh, so to speak, to go to the West and to do that uh, rotation. Um, I think it's really going to come down to like where you see yourself the most. Um, and I think you have to keep in mind that, uh, keep in mind your own like personal like application limitations as well as, um, you know, where people may have historically gone to from your institution. And I don't think either of those are necessarily like um, hard limitations on where you can go and, you know, like the sky's the limit. I, I don't know. Um, but I think you have to almost like factor all these things in uh, as you sort of wisely or prudently apply uh, to a wide spectrum of programs. Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent point. I mean, I think, you know, if you want to shoot for some of the higher ranked programs or, you know, more academic programs per se, yeah. I think that's certainly reasonable. Um, but also I think, like you said, kind of evaluating where you kind of fit in all that with your, you know, your stats, your med school, where people have gone from your med school, things like that. I think are probably important to, to apply. Cause you, it, I feel like in a way it could really help you stand out at a place, really help you get noticed at a place. And you don't want to do it at a place that maybe wouldn't necessarily, you want to do it at a place that's going to give you like a pretty good shot. I feel like. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, you, you know, if you, if you notice that a program has historically only taken their own like medical students, I don't know that there's a whole lot of value in, in doing a like away rotation there on the off chance um, that you you you'd be selected. Uh, that said, uh, you you never know, and you know if you want to give it uh, your best effort and see what happens, I think that's that's a personal decision. Um, I think you have to choose practically um, and be reasonable about expectations and you know, just prepare yourself as best as you can and, and, you know, put your best foot forward and, and leave the rest, but within like certain confines of reasonableness, I, I would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess one, one last thing to kind of wrap up the, the application uh, aspect of things is for people applying IR, do you advise people to apply both IR and diagnostic radiology just because from the fact that there's a sheer, there's just a smaller number of programs and you'd want to make sure you at least get a slot. Cause I've heard of, I feel like I've heard of people doing both. Some just exclusively apply IRs, many apply both. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously you can also just apply diagnostic and then 
go to IR eventually and through the ESIR path. But I guess for people that want to apply integrated IR, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, I mean, um, if your eventual goal is IR, I don't think it should matter which pathway you take. Um, it's going to end up being a, you know, a six or seven year process regardless. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, are, as we spoke earlier, inherent advantages to, to each, each of the pathways. Um, I'd say as a medical student applying, if you know you want to do IR, like go for it. I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, and I think the way uh, it worked, at least when I applied and the way I believe it still is, is that when you, um, when you apply for an IR slash DR position, that's usually what you're invited to for the interview. You're invited to interview for both the integrated uh, IR uh, program as well as the diagnostic radiology residency. So for many of my uh, programs, I ended up, uh, I would go to one interview, mm-hmm. but end up ranking two separate programs, one the IR, DR, and also like a separate uh, diagnostic uh, program as well. Um, and I think that is an option at most uh, places. Uh, they rank you for both the IR and the diagnostic uh, programs. Um, yeah, I would, I would certainly do that. And I, you know, if you run out of, you know, that's, I, I don't know, you, you theoretically ran out of um, IR programs that you're interested in applying to, and you only see DR programs in the region of, you know, interest, let's say that you're targeting uh, the Southeast, um, then I would certainly then like in my head, at least look towards diagnostic programs with ESIR options, which kind of signifies to me that they have a certain level of uh, training interest uh, to pursue that pathway and the volume to support that level of training to cut one year from what would be what your eventual independent residency would be. Um, yeah, and then then after that, I, I you know how you decide to rank the different diagnostic programs without ESIR is probably a matter of personal preference. Sure, sure. Yeah, so it seems like, especially those ones where you'd be interviewing at both anyway. I mean, what's the harm in probably you know applying to and ranking both of them? Uh, exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's that uh, it just happened. I think that's they considered you for both. And in most cases, I think there are only a handful of places that that didn't. Okay. Yeah, no, that's good to know. And I feel like also if, if a place has an integrated program in place, they probably have a probably decent size ESIR program as well. So that's, you know, if you can't get there for IR, it's probably a good place to end up for diagnostic and going the ESIR route as well, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, I guess just kind of wrapping things up here, I guess, tell us a little bit about Bioflow design and, and, uh, or excuse me, Bioflow devices. And then, um, you know, your experience as, you know, a physician inventor and an entrepreneur and, um, kind of where, what kind of sparked this idea and, and kind of where things are now. Yeah. So, um, I am no engineer by training. Uh, I studied biology in college and had an English minor. And um, I was completely new to this, uh, but I think um, 
as maybe mechanical as my way to a hair sounded from like, <laughs> you know, how I systematically, you know, went through and, and ruled things in and out. Uh, one of the biggest attractions to me about IR was the innovative aspect, sort of like, you know, pushing the frontiers, uh, really trying to change the way we do things and questioning the status quo. Um, I think I found all of those really uh, attractive traits of the field. Um, and I think I, I remember uh, one of my mentors, um, Dr. Gary Siskin at Albany was saying that a lot of the things that he was doing now in his practice, he, at least half of them, he didn't learn in his, in his uh, fellowship training, mm-hmm. which to me was a really awesome sign that the field is growing and there's a lot of growth that, um, that will you know, continue to be seen. Um, and I think that's just like very evident in all the research that's coming out and the things that are being pursued. Um, not to get uh, distracted here. Um, so during my third year, I was involved in um, a variety of like biodesign and innovation events through the uh, National Society. Um, and then that kind of had me thinking more innovatively uh, and when I was on rotation uh, in nephrology during my third year uh, medicine consults, I saw a patient that had repeatedly gone down to IR for, um, for nephrostomy occlusion uh, requiring multiple exchanges. This was um, a patient who was trying to find her way back home, <laughs> but <laughs> continued to end up remaining in the hospital. Um, and she had, uh, you know, bilateral um, ureteral uh, obstructions due to a pelvic mass. And so, you know, I think over the period of one week, she went down to IR twice. Wow. And from following up with her, I think she stayed, she ended up staying for, for a total of like, you know, 20 days almost and, and had more exchanges after the fact. Um, initially due to what we suspected to be like biofilm. Um, occlusions, uh, which brought her in initially, she was infected, and then uh, they treated her with antibiotics, um, going through the common pathway. And then once she stabilized, sent down to IR. Uh, and then the, the days following that, um, she continued to have, you know, clots in her nephrostomies. And so, you know, just speaking with her, you have all this time as a medical student, of course, and speaking with yeah. her, you know, <laughs> just like, you know, darn, this is, this isn't right. Like, why are we doing this? Why are, why are tubes so primitive? Like, can we do this better? And I think that's where, um, you know, I, there was just this switch that, you know, turned on in my head and I couldn't stop thinking about how can I make this better? And it almost became this puzzle I needed to solve. And I think over the course of that year, I finally came up with a a design that I thought was viable. I presented it to my um, wonderful mentors at Albany, and then immediately went to um, our affiliated accelerator, uh, where we're, I was able to meet uh, wonderful mentors in in the business sector, uh, Amy Johnson, namely, and so they really helped me um, develop a sense for what it would take to get a product from um, ideation to prototype uh, to commercialization. And so currently um, my work has been around percutaneous drainage catheters and developing a dynamic 
mechanism for preventing uh, occlusion uh, from biofilm accumulation, mineral incrustation, blurry sludge, you name it. Mm -hmm. um, anything that causes obstruction, I'm hoping to obviate the need for an exchange by way of uh, this mechanism that I've now patented. Um, and where we currently are, um, when I came down to Emory, I was uh, thankfully really uh, connected to the Georgia Tech uh, engineers, the Georgia Tech uh, resources, um, as well as Emory's resource resources, and uh, have had the opportunity to collaborate um, with uh, these wonderful students and professors uh, that have really taken the initial alpha prototype to a, a close beta prototype. And we're now at the stage where we're approaching uh, contract engineering firms uh, to really look at, can we take this to a pre-production um, state uh, or prototype that we can uh, you know, then use in uh, anatomical model simulations or uh, clinical studies to validate its use um, in clinical being really preclinical work in animal models. That's amazing. Um, you know, uh, it's most people just kind of get through med school and do their thing, but very few invent a device uh, <laughs> and then start a company and, and uh, continue with it and bring it all the way to where you are right now. So I, I congratulate you on your, on yeah, your, no, your success you. and, uh, and your many more. And like I said, John's a, not only a wealth of knowledge on IR, but also medical innovation. I can speak to that myself. I've certainly learned a lot from him. We're in the early stages of collaborating on some additional, if he hasn't busy enough with one project, he's, uh, <laughs> he's got all these ideas. So I'm certainly learning a lot from him um, as well. I think, you know, you touched on a, uh, about uh, mentorship and um, I guess if, if a med student out there is listening to this and they think, or even a resident for that matter, they, you know, they come up with an idea that they think is interesting, could be innovative. I guess what you're like, cause it could be intimidating. Like, especially, you know, you say you didn't have an engineering background. Like, where do you start? Like, where do you go? Like, do you go to someone? Do you try to make it a good idea or, or do some research on it? Like, what's your kind of advice for that? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I stumbled a lot and sort of figured things out along the way. And hopefully people listening to this can benefit from my experience and not have to do the same. Uh, I would say that, um, once you come up with some sort of solution or like, you know, once you come up with a problem, you know, make sure it's a real problem <laughs> and spend the time to, you know, talk to your mentors, your clinical mentors, make sure it's a problem. You know, you, you design a solution, uh, validate that feasibility and like um, user end, you know, from the interventional radiologist or whoever's using that device and make sure that it's uh, at least, you know, preliminarily a, a valid or, validated, I should say, uh, problem and proposed solution. I think after that point, um, you, it would be great if you found a clinical mentor that has also has experience in this fate in, you know, in, uh, you know, innovation and entrepreneurship, uh, that would be the ideal solution. I think they would provide all the, all aspects of mentorship you would need, but I think, um, you know, and this is probably more normal is that you, you find, uh, your clinical mentors who can help you validate problem and proposed solution. And then you find uh, someone who's in the entrepreneurship and commercialization um, side of things. And you find a mentor there uh, who, you know, these people tend to be um, 
mentors you can find in uh, accelerators. Uh, and if your university doesn't have one, there's typically regional accelerators, whether it's in your state or in, in the general region. Um, and you know, if, if none of that's available, I think you can always think about uh, going outside of that region and you know, trying to network through your mentors and asking um, if there's someone that you can be connected to. But I think finding those mentors first is certainly really important. Um, I think one thing I realized as a medical student inventor was, um, and I found out found found this out the hard way is, is not understanding the IP uh, ownership or landscape that the university has um, of your invention as a medical student. And I went through a lot of conversations with the university office of technology and transfer office, just trying to clarify what hold they might have over anything I develop. And really it came down to, did I use university resources or not as a student? And because I did not, um, I was able to have my um, invention, you know, released quote unquote by the university um, for me to pursue um, work with it out like independent of the university having any ownership. Um, it's, it's a little, it can be a little convoluted, I, I think, but um, at some point, you know, while you're looking for mentorship and, you know, you have that initial proposed solution, I think trying to understand your local university's um, IP policies might be very helpful because you'll soon be transitioning out of that medical school, possibly more than likely you'll be leaving that medical school for a different program or a different residency in a different place. And it can be very unattractive for future investors should it ever get to that point for multiple universities have a hold of the IP in different forms. And it's just better to keep things uh, clean and simple. Um, and so I would, I would think about that. Um, depending on the amount of time you have, you can pick up different like engineering pseudo skills, <laughs> as I call it, uh, that may help you. Like I dabbled in CAD for a bit uh, just to get my bearings on uh, engineer speak. Um, but I, I think those are like the first preliminary steps I would take if, if I were kind of mentoring a medical student um, and definitely not approaching industry right away <laughs> uh, and taking the time to develop your designs, your IP. And, um, you know, there's a whole process that you go through from like ideation to prototype to like clinical model like there's a lot of steps in between like hundreds of steps uh and like many people you talk to um i would highly recommend looking at the um the stanford biodesign um textbook it's classic and teaches you everything you need to know um and you know i'll leave it at that for now it's it's almost an entire podcast in itself yeah no i mean i think you know we'll have to have you on again sometime and probably dive in deeper on that. I think there'd be a lot of people interested in, in that whole process um, yeah. uh, as well. Uh, but I think just kind of wrapping things up here, um, I think, you know, very innovative career you've had going on here. Uh, definitely one of the busiest guys I know for sure. <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, I think when you're, when you aren't doing, we ask everybody this, when you're not you know, building medical devices or doing interventional radiology, uh, what are your, what are your 
pastimes outside the hospital? How do you, how do you balance yourself if you can? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I think, you know, this, uh, I, I play tennis. I know we, we play tennis, um, every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, I like sports in general, so I'll, I'll do anything to engage in physical activity. Um, I'd say, you know, my primary hobby is probably just, uh, you know, hanging out with, with the friends, you know, the, my, our, you know, our colleagues, um, mm-hmm. hanging out with people and just having a good time, like with good food, uh, good company, um, you know, just sharing our experiences. Uh, you know, I think all of that is, it's kind of like what I do outside of, uh, or in my free time, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you bring up a point, important point there. It's important to spend time with your colleagues, assuming you like your colleagues outside of the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> um, cause you know, you, no one gets it, you know, you know, obviously you can talk to your significant other or your parents or your brother or sister, or, you know, a close friend or whoever, but I think no one, no one gets it more than your own colleagues, you know, at your program or at your medical school, then, you know, what's your, the frustrations. And then also the, we certainly talk about those. And then (laughs) the, uh, and then the positive aspects as well, you know, it's, you know, if you're having a, you know, funny story or an exciting day, you know, it can be, even those can be harder for some people who aren't in it to understand. So I think that's, you know, important as well. Yeah, you know, I think we, I, I used to always look towards like the next step. It was like, you know, when I was in a pre-med, I would look towards med school. When I was in med mm-hmm. school, I looked towards fourth year and then then residency. And then residency happened and I was like, oh, you know, intern year, I'm looking forward to radiology. <laughs> you know, now we're, now we're really in it. And I think um, it's, it's just a wonderful field. I would highly encourage any medical students um, interested in, or open to radiology to explore it at the very least and give it, give it, you know, a solid try. I think more people, you know, a lot of people don't give it uh, the time it deserves, I think, and and would be surprised to find that they may actually really like it. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, you know, it's something I wasn't initially interested in, but uh, came to it over time, as you know, and you know, I I love it now. I think it's, it's such an innovative field and it's, um, you know, and it's, this clinical, I think it gets kind of a bad rap sometimes like, oh, you don't see patients or there's limited patient care. Um, I mean, unfortunately, as we talk about a lot of specialties anymore, you spend a lot of time at the computer. I mean, whether you're a medicine doctor, a surgeon, an ICU doctor, you spend time away from patients. Um, and so I think, yeah. you know, obviously radiologists, it's on the, you know, you spend more time at the computer, you know, in terms of reading images. But as far as IR, like I mentioned, you know, we're, you know, as much a consult service as any other. I mean, we're out there, you know, seeing patients and, you know, doing procedures on patients and doing clinic, like you mentioned. And um, I think that's, uh, so it's really, you know, it, it can be as little clinical exposure as you want. I mean, some people don't want much clinical exposure and that's part of the yeah. reason they go into it, <laughs> but, or all the way to, you know, a significant amount. And then, and then there's a lot of diagnostic physicians that do a lot of, you know, procedures and interact, you know, they do like biopsies and a lot of the musculoskeletal radiologists do a lot of interesting, you know, procedures as well, where they interact with patients. So um, I think there's more patient interaction than people realize. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't expecting to do so much patient interaction on my like abdominal body rotation Mm -hmm. and fluoroscopy for sure. Fluoroscopic fluoroscopic studies on on patients, you know, that took up the majority of my day. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, for those medical students listening, um, check it out. It's, it's an amazing field. Um, one that I love, one that I know Max loves and, uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's really the future of, of, you know, diagnostic medicine as well as like interventional therapies. So yeah, I know what more can be said. <laughs> yeah. And I think with that, we'll, we'll kind of wrap things up, I guess. Is there, I know you're relatively active on Twitter. Is there, is there, what, what's your, do you want us to plug any, any things for people to follow uh, for you? Oh yeah. You know, I, 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 I can, uh, I can share my uh, Twitter account um, and uh, maybe you could post it on the link, but I'm happy yeah. to share that. If, if any, you know, interested medical students are want to reach out to me, happy to, happy to chat. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me uh, again. Really enjoyed talking with you about this topic. It's uh, it's, it's it was, this is a great, you know, podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, we're glad to have you on. Like I said, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge and many things. Uh, so I think the, I think the listeners have, have, will gain a lot of value from this and uh, we look forward to having you on again sometime. So with that, right. thanks again, John. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. More episodes are available on our website at dviacademy.com, our YouTube channel. They're also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also on our website, you can find our video courses for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology, and they're available as month-to-month packages. They're also available as a combo package where you can get all three courses in one. Our website also has a store where you can find our outline format textbooks for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology. All textbooks are available in paperback version and as ebooks as well. These textbooks complement our video courses and provide a nice addition to the learning experience of allowing you to focus on the learning and not having to write anything down. On our website, we also provide a free clinical cases video series called Da Vinci Cases. Da Vinci Cases aims to help you learn how to answer USMLE questions and apply concepts that you learn in our courses to answering those questions. Our cases cover a variety of topics and organ systems, and they're updated frequently with new cases. And then lastly on our website, you can find our blog, which has interesting articles that cover medical history, important figures in medicine, and innovations in medicine. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to tune in for our next episode.